Congratulations, your genetic profile is the perfect match with a long, prestigious line of gamers. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week we talk about Assassin's Creed, a series that blends sci-fi and historical fiction. These games are about inhabiting a character who's inhabiting someone else. A real gamer's game. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello. Hey. Hello to both of you. Hello. I remember my name this time. You got it. You did. I did it. <laughs> Good job. All three of us remembered our names. We did. That's impressive at our age. I think we I should know. get some accolades. for. Th- I think we should win a podcast award for <laughs> being able to remember our names. Honestly, I am older than the two of you, and that is not that far off. I forget literally everything you have only yeah. more forgetfulness to look forward to over the next seven years i'm so excited well the three of us we have conversations that we just repeat the same things because none of us have any short-term memory anymore and so we all I just know. say the same things over <laughs> i'm sure it's documented in the history of the show all of us telling the same stories people can write in <laughs> yes. yeah. us, like at maximumfun.org and tell us if they've noticed any greatest hits but you know what else people could do they could what? Go. i've forgotten so i'm gonna need you to tell me maddie i know i know luckily we do this every Every single week. And also it's in our run sheet. So that's how I'm remembering this. People could support the show by becoming Maximum Fun members, by joining the community and supporting us with their hard-earned cash at MaximumFun.org slash join. And if you were to do that, you would get access to our monthly bonus episodes, which are usually beans cast where we spill the beans about various video games and movies and shows. But sometimes we just talk about ourselves. It's just a little extra bit of triple click once mm-hmm. a month. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty cool. It is pretty cool. So, um, Kirk, take us away. All right. So I have two things that I need to tell both of you. The first Great. one, it's that nothing is true. And the second mm. thing I'm going to tell you is that everything is permitted. Did you know oh that nothing is true and everything is permitted? Wow. Uh, I've heard it before. Can't can't put my finger on where. But. It's, a, it's a kind of a maxim, a motto, if you will. You could even call it a creed, maybe even the Assassin's Creed, which is the game series that we're going to be talking about on this episode. We're going to be answering the question... What's the deal with Assassin's Creed? What's the deal with Assassin's Creed? (laughs) Which is a big question to try to answer considering what this series has become based on where it started. So, Assassin's Creed started in 2007 as a stealth action series, and it has metamorphosized over the past 13 years and, I want to say, 14 main game entries to become... Pretty much the Ur game, like a game that is everything, a game that is an action <laughs> adventure RPG uh, puzzle solving platforming, just endless amount of content open world experience that sort of transcends genre. So there's a lot to talk about here. We're going to talk about man so much. I've played almost every single Assassin's Creed game. I know the two of you probably haven't played as many as I have. Um, nope. But I do want to start with a question. And that question is what is your favorite Assassin's Creed game? So Maddie Myers, what is your favorite Assassin's Creed game? You already know the answer because I talked about it on our Triple Click Picks episode way back when. It's Assassin's Creed Origins, which is Mm -hmm. also the first Assassin's Creed that I really devoted time to and beat and played for a long time. Because before that point, I wasn't that into stealth games. I played some of the other Assassin's Creed's. But I just, it, it wasn't my style of game. So I don't, I don't think I gave him a fair shake. But Origins, I 
taught myself how to enjoy stealth games, and I also happened to really like the story of Origins. And, and that was part of why that was the one that I tried to get into, because I played it, I think, a year or two after it came out. I knew it was a good one, so I was like, if I'm going to give an Assassin's Creed game a chance, it should be Origins, I should get all the DLC, etc., and I loved it. I love that game. And nice. every other Assassin's Creed has paled in comparison, perhaps <laughs> because of some type of first timer bias that I had yeah. with that one, where it was like the one that I fell in love with. And then mm. all the other ones I just compare, perhaps unfairly, unfavorably to Origins. But I think that's kind of common with Assassin's Creed games. Well, are you also a big Egypt fan? Yeah, no, I'm super into Egypt. Like as a middle schooler, I was way into Cleopatra mm. and all that stuff. So I mean, I think that that's was, the biggest That's reason. the other big part of it as yeah. well. The setting winds up kind of being the appealing thing about these games. Yes. Jason, what is your favorite Assassin's Creed game? I don't know. I saw this in your your run notes, your sheet, run sheet notes, and and I was trying to think of my answer because I don't. I think I'm torn between two, and that is That's fine. the two after Maddie's, which are Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And Odyssey for me is like a really really special game. I love that game so much because of Cassandra, because of the setting, because I grew up just like Maddie. You were obsessed with Egypt. I was obsessed with Greek mythology. Like that was my mm-hmm. thing growing up, and and still super into like Greek mythology. I, I got a kick out of the fact that my name was Greek and named after like Jason and the Argonauts, like the the Greek myth. Um, but uh, but Assassin's Creed Valhalla is also so good and like I think is a better game than Odyssey in a lot of ways. Like it really nails that sense of mystery and like the core gameplay loop of like going around and finding the little dots. And instead of feeling like you're, you're <laughs> that sounds more, it sounds less fun than it actually is. It's all about finding those dots. I mean, that's not what Assassin's Creed was always about, which I'm sure Kirk is going to get into. That's true. That's true. But but so with Odyssey, it's very much like you're you're picking side quests on a checklist and like going through objectives. Um, with Valhalla, it's very much like Breath of the Wild style. Just pick a direction and start exploring. And then every side quest you find is like kind of self-contained and uh, all solvable within that little space um, or within a small radius. So So you don't really have to do the whole like checklist thing but the main character and like setting of odyssey i like a lot better so really i think it's a tie for me like i love both games equally origins is cool too but um for me not not as as high not the the height so my answer Mm -hmm. i guess I'm, i'm sort of torn as well i really like assassin's creed syndicate and i'm a bit of a weird assassin's creed fan in that way i always see people kind of saying that they don't like Syndicate as much. It's like too modern. The story they don't like. I really like it. The story is okay. There's a real antagonist, which I like about it, even though he's not an amazing character. I love Evie Fry as a character, and her relationship with Jacob is cool. The DLC is really good. The setting of London is cool, and it has good stealth, which all these games do not have good stealth. But um, of the kind of pre this most recent trilogy of the games, I do like that Syndicate has good stealth. It has a cool grappling hook. But I'm actually going to say that Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is my favorite Assassin's Creed game, which was the third Assassin's Creed and was kind of in the middle of the Ezio trilogy, which I'm about to run down the timeline of Assassin's Creed for probably, I'm guessing, a significant number of listeners who haven't played all of these games and maybe don't don't know the whole story. But Brotherhood was the one where... They introduced the idea of the Brotherhood, and it was back when they were kind of introducing all these new ideas. Each game kind of brought something new, 
And it was sort of surprising that Brotherhood was going to have the same protagonist as Assassin's Creed 2. Ezio Auditore di Firenze, the uh, wonderful Ezio who started his own trilogy, the series had moved from a different protagonist at the time. So it was like, oh, is this just DLC? Is this really a full game? And then it came out and it was a full game and it's set in Rome and it's super good. And you build up this Brotherhood of Assassins and then you can do this thing, which um, our former boss, Stephen Totillo, also loves about this game where... You have all these recruits, these assassins recruits, and you can just like be looking down on someone and then you just press a button and an assassin will just jump out and kill them. And you don't even have to do it yourself because you're such a boss. And that's like what the Brotherhood is all about. So you can be fighting and then you call on your guys and they all jump out of the bushes and like start fighting the guys with you. And I always thought that was really cool. And it's just a very good game. That whole trilogy is good. All right, so I'm just going to go quickly through the timeline. And this is kind of how I think of it is there's this, there are kind of three trilogies and three they, they line up with three different eras in these games' development. They kind of reflect the three types of games that Assassin's Creed was. There are a couple of little tangents along the way, but it's kind of just three trilogies. The Ezio trilogy, the Kenway trilogy, and what I call kind of the ancient trilogy. I don't know if these are canon names, but that's how I think mm, of it. It makes them. sense to me so far. Mm. So Assassin's Creed begins in 2007. It is the story of an assassin named Altair in the Holy Land in 1191 during the Crusades. It is also the story of a bartender named Desmond Miles who starts hanging out with Kristen Bell and then gets recruited into Abstergo, this weird company where they're going to do experiments on him using advanced virtual reality technology called the Animus that allows him to go back into his ancestors' DNA memories and re-experience the Crusades because he is a descendant of Altair, the other protagonist of Assassin's Creed. And that is the whole framework of every Assassin's Creed game since then, is that you're always a modern day person, you're always going into the Animus and going into ancient times. Bing! Future Kirk here as I edit the episode. I realized that in a total amateur hour oversight on my part, I neglected to mention the central conflict of the Assassin's Creed series. And because I'm a big nerd for this series, and I know that some people listening to this really maybe don't know that much about Assassin's Creed, I do want to mention it. And that is there's a conflict between two groups, the Assassins and the Templars. The Assassins aren't just people who kill people. Like, I know that's what the word Assassin means, but the Assassins are this organization. They're kind of the good guys, um, though later in the, in the later games, sometimes you play as a Templar and the Templars are kind of complicated too, but the Templars basically want order and the Assassins want freedom for everybody and the distinction between the two gets kind of nebulous at points, I mean, and then eventually you have characters who are like Assassins who are the descendants of Templars and are we really so different but that's where the Assassins Creed nothing is true, everything is permitted comes from. If you asked me to really explain to you what that Creed means I probably couldn't and I've played like a billion hours of Assassins Creed games so, you know, take that for what it's worth Anyways, I didn't want to not mention the Assassins and Templars in my explainer for what Assassin's Creed is because that would be pretty embarrassing. Okay, anyways, I was just wrapping up talking about the very first game from 2007. Take it away, Past Kirk. Bing! That game's kind of on its own. The Ezio trilogy comes after that, with starts with Assassin's Creed 2, and then Brotherhood, and then Revelations. Those three games all center around Ezio. Auditore di Firenze, an Italian badass who is a descendant of Altair. Desmond is still the guy in the future, so he's still like Ezio's descendant. And there's a whole parallel storyline going on there that keeps going to the Kenway trilogy, which begins with Assassin's Creed 3. So anyways, the Kenway trilogy is this family of Connor, Haytham, and Edward Kenway. 
they were all protagonists of different games. Haytham and then Connor are the protagonists of Assassin's Creed 3. Edward is the pirate who is the star of Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag. That was a major departure point for the series because they introduced these ships that were kind of in Assassin's Creed 3, but AC4 is like Wind Waker style, like pirate adventure. It's almost Mm -hmm. not an Assassin's Creed game. It's also the first time the protagonist is like super not into being an assassin. He's like, I'm a pirate. I just want to do pirate stuff and hang out with Blackbeard. And like, that's what he does. And it's a really, it's a great game. It's just not as assassin, assassin centric. So then from there you get like Freedom Cry. That was a really cool DLC. Liberation is also an AC3 DLC. Kind of through this whole period, this is all set in the mid 1700s. Assassin's Creed Rogue is the one that I haven't finished, much to Stephen Totilla's chagrin. Uh, That's also kind of telling the story of Kenway's and you get a lot of nice closure from that whole trilogy. There's kind of a little tangent here where there's then these European games, Assassin's Creed Unity and Syndicate. Uh, Unity is during the French Revolution. Syndicate is even later in the 19th century during the Industrial Mm -hmm. Revolution in London. Those games are kind of on their own. Unity also a game so buggy that it launched a million memes and Mm -hmm. uh, kind of reversed the course, changed the course of the whole series, forced them to skip a year. It was fixed later on, but nobody thinks about that anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. Get notably fixed. Yeah, it's still not a. It's still not a great game. Like, it's not as buggy, but it's, I don't like it. It's one of my least favorite Assassin's Creed games. It's just not Fair that enough. fun. It was designed for multiplayer. It's like kind of weird. Like, um, so then there's the Ancient Trilogy, which is Origins, Odyssey, Valhalla, 2017, 18, and 20. Those games are very different. That's when it becomes much more like The Witcher, especially when by the time they get to Odyssey, you've got multiple mm-hmm. protagonists, you've got dialogue trees in Odyssey and Valhalla, a branching narrative, and all kinds of stuff yeah. that was never in the series before. Levels, equipment, yeah, all the RPG mechanics. Dating sim stuff. <laughs> yeah, romance. Okay. Whew. That was a lot. That was a lot of games. I've played all of those games. Um, all of them? Well, except for Rogue, which you haven't beaten, but you've played every single other one of these? Yes, and I have completed all of them. I hope the wow. listener is applauding these efforts. This is a huge... I'm a real fan of this series. It's, uh, <laughs> I really, I mean, I've always liked stealth games, even though I never liked the stealth in Assassin's Creed, and I... Still kind of don't like they're just they're not good stealth games in the way that like a Splinter Cell or a, to use the Ubisoft series is they just never have been it's always been kind of weird because the whole crowd thing that was always the the promise and that's kind of weird right well so when it, so so you, you keep calling it a stealth game but I don't even think of those earlier Assassin's Creed games as stealth games I think of them as like escort <laughs> and like sneak around <laughs> and follow people games that was always a shortcoming of the early games is there were these tailing missions where you'd have to follow somebody and then mm-hmm. you couldn't get outside of the like cone of the conversation or you'd fail the mission. They did away with those. There's been a long, if you're into game design and uh, just like how it works and the ways that like a big game like this can change over the years, Assassin's Creed has been a really interesting series to be into because they're always tweaking stuff. Each game will introduce some new idea that's controversial while keeping around old ones that people didn't like, but then they'll finally start getting rid of them. There was a period in there, and I don't remember where it is, where they finally got rid of those tailing missions, which are just the worst, where you, you're on the roof trying to follow a guy, and he always turns around you know, at various points, and it's just that mm. thing that then it got adopted in a million other games. I remember doing that in like Infamous. So you can both watch as the, as Assassin's Creed games establish trends that other studios follow, sometimes in a bad way, but then also as they change them over time and introduce new ideas and tweak them, where if you're a big Assassin's Creed nerd, you can kind of really get into those specific design things and, and see how they mm-hmm. change. 
Yeah, Black Flag I remember specifically because that came out. That was the first cross-gen game for PS4 and mm-hmm. then like PS3, um, both eras, um, and obviously Xbox One and Xbox 360. And I remember playing that on my PS4 at launch, and I remember getting so frustrated by those escort missions They're that bad. I was just like, nope, like I'm not even going to stick with this game. I'd rather just like put the PS4 aside than play more of this. And I think that's why, because I played that and Assassin's Creed 2, which I actually enjoyed a lot more um and those games i mean they didn't like stick with me or make me want to play them every year the way that the current incarnations of the series do the way that the the rpg versions of assassin's creed do and um yeah i'm not sure exactly why that is there's just something about the new formula that like really clicks for me and something about the design of it all and and the structure of it all and the rpg of it all that has just really worked for me with the with the latest three yeah, games yeah same i like i also played ac2 and then Basically didn't play, didn't beat it, didn't play almost any of the other ones listed in between and then played Origins. And that was the game that I felt like I could just lose hours of my life to because of Mm -hmm. that loop of like seeing something on the map, you run towards it. By the time you've completed that thing, there's a bunch of other stuff on the map and you're already here and there's all this design showing you just the mystical panoply of of little artifacts and objects you can click on or people you can talk to. I mean, they really have that down in Origins and that is is the story of our lives in Odyssey and Valhalla as well as just really refining that mm-hmm. uh, infinite addiction world. I, I don't know how else to describe the loop of those mm-hmm. games, but you're just yeah. supposed to live in them. And that's terrifying. Even when they're super buggy and janky, they're still like incredibly yeah. fun to like do some of those basic things. But AC2 is nothing like that. So it's like I have none of the dots on the the graph in between those two states. So it's like funny to me to look at something like my memories of AC2 and then Origins and think about how they're technically in the same franchise. So I would say that AC2 is a little bit like that. Assassin's Creed 1 is a freaking weird game. That game is worth going back and playing because that, that one is very strange. And I remember it was marketed as like the new generation of gaming. And this was on the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. But the idea was, look, we can do these crowds in these cities to the point where hiding in a crowd and being in this like flowing urban environment can be a real gameplay thing, which it never really worked that way in the game. But the game doesn't have... It has these like weird, repeatable like things in the world, but it's not like Assassin's Creed 2 onward, which Assassin's Creed 2 is really a lot like Grand Theft Auto. And that was kind of the shift that happened from Assassin's Creed 1 to 2 was it went from this weird thing where there were just here's an event like some guards hiding, a you know, guarding a, an object that you can try to grab if you want to get leveled up. But mostly you just kind of went through and there were assassin targets and you just tried to assassinate them. And then in Assassin's Creed 2, it was like, oh, you can like chase down these feathers. And these are just like repeating events that are strewn about the city. And your your map had all these little icons on it that you would select and go do. And they would lead to these little side stories that Ezio would get to know members of his family and stuff. And that was kind of introduced to that game, all of this extra scaffolding to the experience that they then built on and built on until when Origins and then Odyssey came out. They're like, and now there's like stories and branching dialogue and all this other stuff that's closer to an RPG like The Witcher. So that's been kind of a long time coming, especially it's a far distance for the series to go when you go back to the very beginning. It's kind of worth if you can find a really cheap copy of the first Assassin's Creed, just playing like an hour or two of it because Mm -hmm. the series has become this totally different thing now. Um, all this time later. There's also the settings of these games. I think 
are a really important part of what make them appealing. And I think maybe a part of what make these most recent ones really appealing to people, in particular, I think, Origins and Odyssey, because Ancient Egypt and Ancient Greece are so cool and so distinct, where a lot of the Kenway trilogy, like, you're kind of just on a ship on the ocean, like, you're in the Caribbean, or you're in America, and, like, Revolutionary War America, okay, like, it wasn't that cool to me anyways, because I've kind of seen it a lot, where, and also even the Ezio trilogy, there are times, like, when you're in Rome, that's really cool, but there are also times, I believe, uh, Revelations is in Constantinople, and it's like, okay, this is a cool city, but I'm not very familiar with it, it wasn't quite as exciting in some ways, like, some settings aren't as exciting as others, I guess, and I think the settings wind up being an important part of the series, and I think they've kind of figured that out at this point. Yeah, I think it was less the cities with those games and more the eras, because like it was all, like uh, what was it, 12th century, 11th century, like around there, which we've seen in a bazillion pieces of media before, as opposed mm-hmm. to ancient Egypt and ancient Greece, which is not only are those cool settings inherently, but also like it's like entering a foreign world, and like obviously it's nothing like what actual ancient Greece was, but it's cool to pretend that you are like exploring and getting to this grand tour of like human history. That, that to me mm-hmm. is incredibly cool. And like one of those things that video games can do that other forms of media can't. And that's the reason they've added actual tourist modes to those games and are like using them for historical purposes. Like you can play those games without any combat in tourist mode, which is super cool also. Yeah. And I also think there's something incredibly funny about the idea of Leonardo da Vinci being a character in Assassin's Creed. And I, <laughs> Kirk, you know character. better than I do if, if there are more characters between Leonardo da Vinci and then the AC Origins, of course, has Cleopatra and then ADC Odyssey has Socrates. Like to have these like extremely well-known historical figures be someone that you can meet who has funny dialogue. All the games have that. Yeah. Like I'm sure they, mm-hmm. they must. I'm just not familiar. But it's yep. that Syndicate being has a Jack part. Jack the Ripper. And oh, God. Okay. Perennial video game character, Jack the Ripper. Yeah, there's also all the uh, Revolutionary War figures who are in Assassin's Creed 3, which is also very interesting because Assassin's Creed 3 is about a half Native American protagonist. And a Mm -hmm. lot of the narrative then is him kind of ultimately being screwed over by these like Englishmen that he's sort of allied with and semi, you know, his his uh, lineage sort of ties him to in this in this way. So, yeah, they there is always some of that. You're hanging out with George Washington, you know, or Ben Franklin, all these different characters, which is like inherently memeable and shareable in in the current day and probably was even back then. Like the idea of playing a game that has all these supernatural elements, but then also has in theory, educational historical stuff in there is part of the appeal of Assassin's Creed. Some of the like less broad stuff, like the more obscure references, wind up being cooler to me the more I play these games, only because I'm not a huge history buff, but when I do then learn something, I'll be like, oh, that's like that character from Assassin's Creed. And I think <laughs> yeah. that's kind of cool. I'm playing, um, I, I got back to playing Valhalla. I'm sort of in the right mind space for it now for whatever reason, and I'm just doing all of the little side events that you can just go around and do so i'll just play for half an hour and go do a couple of those and what's cool about that game is that because it's set in like dark ages england there's actually not a lot of you know there isn't really a leonardo da vinci character i mean you know ragnar lothbrook there's king alfred king alfred is the big one yeah yeah sure but it's like not really the same he is well known in to the average person no. yeah well so it's it's called the dark ages because we have such little historical exactly at that time sure that's but yeah. what's yeah, cool that's is it winds up having all these literary references i've been fighting the daughters of king lear mm. basically yeah. who are these like bosses that are around this one part of the world and there's a lot of stuff like that also the black shuck the beowulf dlc yeah <laughs> yeah there's a um black shuck is a song by that rock band the darkness and i i don't 
I didn't know what the black shuck was, but I think it's like a mythological dog. And in the song, he's like, that dog don't give a fuck. Like, that's like what the song is about. <laughs> black shuck. Great. And then he, I, I was fighting the dog. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm fighting the black shuck. And I was like singing the song and like fighting this dog. And it was wow. so I kind of like those more subtle those more subtle references in the definitely the most metal of all the Assassin's Creed. Games. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I I remember even saying that was one of the things I enjoyed about Valhalla was stopping the game to Google different things in the game mm-hmm. and then go on a little Wikipedia deep dive or history yeah. website deep dive about various aspects because I'm like, oh, well, I don't really actually know that much about Vikings and their invasions. What what really happened here? And I don't I don't know how historically accurate every Assassin's Creed game is, but it is cool to look up something in Valhalla and be like oh, this is also based on on real life, and so is this other thing, and so forth. So on the flip side of the Assassin's Creed narrative coin from all the cool historical stuff is the modern-day stuff and the kind of meta (laughs) storyline. There's, I would say that there's a modern-day storyline, and there's also a meta storyline. I almost think of them as separate storylines. They're they're related, so I guess you can just call them the modern-day stuff. Which part are you putting the aliens into? So the yeah the Isu the precursor race they're kind of the meta storyline because they factor mm-hmm. into the whole thing which the modern day stuff does too but there's just a feeling increasingly with these games as you're playing that there are now like mythological figures turning up and monsters and beasts from our actual mythology that are really just like manifestations of Isu technology and so that feels more directly related to the past stuff than it ne- than it just does to the modern day stuff that's why I kind of think of it almost as a it's, third axis. It's even more pronounced in Valhalla. Yeah, well, I mean, it was pretty friggin' pronounced in Odyssey. But yeah, so um, what's going on here is, like I said, you're in the modern day. You're playing as basically you started as Desmond Miles for like four or five games. Then for a long run of times, they were they really Ubisoft just kind of backed off the modern day stuff, and they're like, okay, we know some people like this, but most people don't care. So it became very very backgrounded. Where in like Assassin's Creed Four, you're a game tester at Abstergo Labs, which is basically Ubisoft Montreal, and you're, you know, you're doing stuff. And Sean and Rebecca are turning up these characters that you met during the earlier games, but it's really in the background. And then they've kind of brought it back to the foreground because there's a named character, um, Layla. Hassan, who is the modern-day pres- uh, protagonist of the most three most recent games. So I guess, what do the two of you think? Maddie, what do you think of the modern-day stuff? I don't <laughs> understand it at all. And I try to pay attention, and I'll read all of Layla's emails or whatever, yeah. and I'll delude myself into thinking I understand what's going on, but I have never at any point understood any of it. And... <laughs> I don't. I have no further comments. I okay. really can't even expound on it. It is all. It is Greek to me. Sometimes, yeah. literally, in the case of Odyssey. Jason, what about you? Yeah. So I don't want to spoil Valhalla for you guys, but like, yeah, please don't. I know there's a but, lot of big stuff that happens. Yeah. Well, so it. I wasn't. I didn't care about it at all until Valhalla, <laughs> and oh. then the end of Valhalla. The yeah. end of Valhalla, which takes a very long time to reach, like it, <laughs> many, many hours. This game there, is incredibly yeah. padded, um, as we talked about a little bit last year. Um, at the end of Valhalla, I was actually hooked by the modern stuff and like very curious mm. to see what will happen next in whatever DLC they do or whatever future Assassin's Creed games they do, because they leave some very tantalizing modern day plot threads at the end of this one. And I say this as someone who's not like super familiar with any of the previous modern day stuff but yeah no but i now i'm i'm kind of more invested in that um in a way that i didn't think i would be until do you feel like i would understand it jason if i got there like it's simple enough that i would get it 
Yeah, well, so the modern stuff I'm talking about is like directly um, the result of stuff that happens in Valhalla. So a lot of it's Got left it. in, there's also stuff that ties into previous games that is like you you might have to look up. Um, and I definitely did. I definitely had to look up some things for them to make sense. But like the overall story arc of Valhalla, which like is involves the modern stuff, is like really interesting to me. And that's all self-contained. Yeah, cool. I think like like when Layla meets um, William Miles, Desmond Miles' father, you have to look up who that is if you haven't played the games and know mm-hmm. why he's an important character, that kind of thing. I think they're getting better at the modern day stuff. Like Layla is a cool character, and I think you do need to have a speaking character connecting you to that stuff. And Desmond did that as well, though it was like he was a very generic character. He was voiced by Nolan North at the time, at like peak Nolan North like ubiquity, and he was just yep. kind of this boring whatever dude. Um, and so he was never that interesting. They made him much more interesting. He was no, he was no Desmond Doom from Lost. Sure, um, but you did. I remember thinking, oh, I think it was in whatever the last one was, or one of the last ones, Revelations. Oh, Nolan North is a really good actor. And of course, now I know he's a great actor. But at the time, I only thought of him as like the protagonist guy and being like, they gave him more to do as they develop the character. They do some cool stuff, I think, in the more recent games that makes me more invested, though I've actually never really been narratively invested in that stuff because, like you've said, Maddie, it's so hard to follow. Like, it really is ultra confusing like Metal Gear level the Patriots and the yeah. whatever like the Lala Lele Lo like it, it yeah. has that same feeling when someone's monologuing at you in a Metal Gear game and I'm like fuck I don't have like my huge like data wall open yeah. to it's funny you say that because the person I think of who likes the modern storyline the most is our former colleague Heather Alexandra who's also like a right. huge Metal Gear stan and she is the person <laughs> who was always telling to me and still does long Twitter threads about like oh I love the modern day right, right, right. lore from Assassin's Creed so it's like if you are a person who can absorb all those proper nouns and remember all this sci-fi lore and keep it in your brain as Heather can you'll love this but for me mm-hmm. i'm just like i just want to get back to the part where i swing an axe at a guy like i don't i don't <laughs> yeah. know what's happening two axes here. in this one <laughs> yeah sometimes two axes <laughs> um i think they're doing a good job more recently also of connecting everything like there's a really amazing moment um at the end of odyssey where they kind of connect the storylines in a way that i actually found like moving i was like whoa i'm really into this that it was a story it was like a, that's just what a, valhalla does too yeah you'll you'll enjoy valhalla's nice and i i think that that's cool like i think it they need to be not necessarily do more future storyline or modern day storytelling where like you're pulled out of the animus all the time i think everyone kind of hates that when you have to go do something in the real world but smarter storytelling where they're giving you a reason to give a shit about both things and like connecting the the protagonists that you're playing in both timelines because there is this whole idea of like animus bleed and the character like bleeds off on you and if you're Layla and you're playing as um, Eivor you're getting to know Eivor and like becoming kind of one with Eivor in this way that connects you to this character that can be really cool like you can explore a lot of really cool character stuff messing with like you know personality transference and stuff so i, I mm-hmm. like that they're starting to do more of that even though they're they're also i guess they're kind of beholden to all of the lore that they've come up with until this point so yeah. there's always just some like references to a bunch of isu shit where i'm like i don't know man it's fine that there's just a minotaur in the game like you don't have to like give me too much of an explanation <laughs> yeah, like i feel like ancient aliens is has become so much less interesting to mm. me in part because i've read so many criticisms of it as being like sort of crypto racist like what why do we have to assume that ancient aliens built the pyramids like humans did, mm. did that mm-hmm. and like why would 
wouldn't why wouldn't we just assume that and it's i i mean i don't know there's plenty of great historical uh academic writing about that and how ancient aliens is like not not a great line of thinking but that is exactly what assassin's creed is already beholden to so that since they're (laughs) stuck with that lore they have to keep it i kirk do you feel like over time they've gotten more interested in that part of the lore or less so um i think they're i think that that part of the lore has made its way more directly into the game in really playful ways that i think they're actually taking it a little less seriously, but that allows them to have more fun. Like in the original mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed, the idea is you're, you're all going after this Apple of Eden, which is actually an Isu artifact that's this super powerful sphere basically that lets you like rewrite reality. It's an infinity stone. It's, it's <laughs> whatever. It's basically an infinity stone. And then when you get it, stuff gets really weird toward the end of the game and it all the animus is melting and whatever. But it's all kind of po-faced and very serious and like the fate of the world and I shall control this whatever. And like... That's fine. It starts getting more fun over the series. There's a really cool point at the end of one of the Ezio games where he finds an Isu temple. I think it's, I can't remember which one it is. Um, It might be Brotherhood. Um, And he finds this temple and there's like an Isu woman appears as this like hologram. And she's talking and he's like, you know, she's talking to him and he's like, who are you? What the hell is going on? And then suddenly she looks over his shoulder at you, like out at the screen. And she's like, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to you. And it's like, she's talking to you, the player. And you're like, okay, this is, this is cool. Like that kind of stuff is fun. Now they're kind of just like, there's a Medusa in the game and it's really just, you know, an Isu, like whatever artifact or something in the animus. And I think that you have to finish Valhalla. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's more, no, I know. I know there's other cool stuff in Valhalla. Believe me. I mean, I've already been playing Valhalla and you like you you become Odin. <laughs> like there's plenty of cool mythological stuff in that game. I enjoy that they're allowing um, for a broader exploration of the mythology in addition to the real world culture using this sort of Isu thing as a way in rather than just making it like a kind of a magical backdrop to then throw in as the end game object or the infinity stone mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, and it's probably easier to do that with religions and mythologies that we don't that aren't present day that people aren't currently thinking about. Like I, I feel like that's the other problem that Assassin's Creed would run into if mm-hmm. for example they suddenly needed to depict biblical times. Like it it just seems like that would AKA be my a fantasy road they cannot Assassin's go down. This has been my I thing know. about God of War where I want God I want Kratos to go like fight the the like Judeo Christian pantheon. <laughs> Kratos versus Jesus. Maddie, you didn't finish AC2, but AC2 ends with the Pope, like you punching the Pope. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of that stuff. I mean, they don't get that much into Christianity as a mythology. They don't say whether or not Jesus was an Isu. Right. I, don't, right. I they, just feel like they need to confirm or deny that. As in They might lore. actually somewhere that we're like, we're going to get an email being like, actually, <laughs> in an email in the game. That- I I hope so. It's in, a, it's in an Assassin's Creed wiki somewhere, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. A few months ago, someone and asked us like what are our dream Assassin's Creed games and I don't know if you guys remember mine was the biblical times I really want that game I think we probably had this exact conversation at the time as well uh-huh. people can also write in and say if this is a greatest hits of triple click is us talking about how Jesus should be an assassin <laughs> why isn't he in there what the hell? <laughs> he'll just be a quest yeah. giver he'll be like a carpenter he'll be like <laughs> yeah he'll carpentry. like make you weapons it'll be really unexpected and he'll be like only use this on the shopkeepers in the temple, okay? That's the only people you're allowed to use these weapons on. <laughs> yeah. like, this has one use. Violence is only justified at this one time. <laughs> yeah. Only in anti-capitalist circumstances. 
Oh man! So that should be a T-shirt. We should print that on a T-shirt. Jesus should be in Assassin's Creed. <laughs> <laughs> AC Jesus. Put man. put Jesus in Assassin's Creed, you cowards. So I'm I'm curious what the two of you think the future might hold for Assassin's Creed. Um, we're kind of it. Well, I wonder. We're, it feels like we're these things tend to go in trilogies, and I don't know how this Valhalla ends. I will know fairly soon. But they're going to carry on that storyline, I'm sure, in some ways. But I kind of wonder. It seems like. These games are very successful for them, these most recent ones. People do seem to really like them. They fit in a nice little place. They're kind of these ambient games that you can play all year because they're always expanding them with DLC. So yeah, does that, do, I don't know, Jason, do you think Assassin's Creed just keeps being what it is right now or is it going to go un- undergo another dramatic change? Um, <laughs> how do I answer this? I, I can't really answer this question <laughs> I kind of know what, what Assassin's Creed is doing, in, in okay. the, at least in the next one. Mm. Um, but um, I guess my what I, I can uh, let me answer what I want rather than uh, spilling the beans. At least for now, on future Assassin's. Creed I mean, Creed you games. could spill the beans by all means. You could tell our <laughs> listeners what's coming for Assassin's Creed. Uh, maybe down the maybe down the road. I'm certainly curious. But what I but I want to see like an evolution of Valhalla. Like I I know there are a lot of there's like this big split in like factions between hardcore Assassin's Creed old school fans and hardcore Assassin's yeah, Creed that's, newer fans. That's always been and, true. Yeah, count me very much among the people who are like, I love the newer iterations. I will play every single RPG Assassin's Creed. I want more of this stuff. And especially after Valhalla and seeing what they did with the mystery system and the side quests, like I mentioned before, is just so smart. And I really want them to keep like iterating on that stuff. Um, I also really want them to not even bother like trying to release every single year. Like They should take two, three years between each of them because these games... I mean, clearly Valhalla was affected by COVID and their bug testing capability abilities were affected by COVID and it's like a miracle that they managed to ship the game but like Valhalla was super buggy like unacceptably buggy I would say for a game that you have to pay full price for and I think that like if there's a way they can give these games more time to avoid that in the future that would be ideal I don't expect any game with like this level of complexity to be completely bug free but like Valhalla was really bad I had some game crashing uh bugs on that one getting some some I, I couldn't finish the the um odin stuff because i got locked out of a quest right, so that's really right. i remember you telling me that yeah i feel like mm-hmm. playing it when i'm playing it now like a few months after it came out is a good time especially because it'll probably be getting more and more expansions like i loaded it up yeah, and there's, exactly there's new stuff in my skill tree there's like mm-hmm. a new quest line that i can do like river raids and i was like oh cool i have yeah. all this new stuff i can go do yeah i don't think it'll be a shock to say that like yeah they very much have like dlc planned for this game and like there's definitely like gonna be mm-hmm. a lot of new stuff which i'm excited for i'm totally ready to revisit yeah i always think that and then i start playing it like an odyssey and then i'm like oh this is too much i already played it yeah too hours. much yeah <laughs> i feel that too yeah maddie what do you what do you expect to see or hope to see in assassin's creed in the future i well i'll say what i hope to see first sure. i hope that the games will get smaller again i think <laughs> ac origins is a great length and i think that these it's games a big game be, too and it's very big it's actually yeah. quite big but I, I think like you know 30 to 40 50 hours pretty good for a huge open world game you still get some cool side quests you still feel like you're wandering off the path but you're getting these bespoke little storylines that you can follow and this this one character who grows and changes in the story origins has all that stuff odyssey is much bigger in terms of every aspect of its scope and then so is valhalla even bigger and jason you've described it as padded i haven't beaten it i'm sure if i ever do i will agree with you and i just i know there are people out there who don't agree with us on this but i just 
I don't like it when a game is padded. I don't like feeling as though my time is being wasted. And what I liked so much about Origins was anytime I did do a side quest, it really felt like it mattered. And like I was being rewarded for seeking out that side quest and playing it. And like I was actually getting something out of it that wasn't just a piece of loot. That game is also too long. <laughs> yeah, like I, it's, you know what I mean though? Like I want to yeah, feel yeah. like mm-hmm. it's as long as I choose to make it and I'm the game is rewarding my time and investment. And so, yeah, I don't think the games are going to get smaller. I think they will probably continue to be the big galloping games that they are. And if anything, they will probably focus even less on having a guided linear story and more on the Grand Theft Auto of it all, where you're just exploring the world and assassinating around. But that's <laughs> too bad. I hope that isn't what it what happens. I hope I'm wrong about my prediction there. Yeah, I think um, they're, they're kind of still finding a balance between like with the quality of the kind of content that you're getting, I'm finding as I'm playing Valhalla this time, I'm really just walking around with no fast travel and just doing all of the little mysteries in the world. And a lot Mm -hmm. of them are really cool. And those are the kinds of content that I'm actually, I would be fine playing dozens of hours of because sometimes it's just like a big boss fight, you know, and it's just kind of a fight. That's fun. That's fine. Um, But then sometimes they're just weird. I had to like, I burned this guy's house down because he told me to, or there's the little kid whose father like stinks of shit. And so their whole house smells and they're just funny and they happen really fast. And like, I think that that is a great addition. And I'm always excited to see what they come up with next as like a little addition like that. Even if by the 60th time you're like raiding a base in the game, you're like, oh my God, okay, I just want to know what happens at the end of this base raid. I've done this so many times. And that stuff starts to feel kind of repetitive. So yeah, I think I do. It does seem like this is kind of what the series is now, though it's changed so many times in the past that uh, that it could change again. I hope they make another movie. Get Fastbender back. I didn't <laughs> yeah, even see the first one, actually. There. I take that back. We should watch it. I still think we should watch it. That would be fun. Maybe, a, maybe for a Beans cast one day. All right, it's... well, I'm going to definitely play more Valhalla. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the end of that. I'm going to see all these exciting things that people keep telling me are in that game. Um, but yeah, so let's take a break, and then we'll be back with one more thing. Hey, I'm Janet Varney, host of the JV Club podcast. Ah, oh, high school. Was it a time of adventure, romance, and discovery? Class of 95, we did it! Or a time of angst, disappointment, and confusion. We're all tied together by four years of trauma at this place, but enjoy adulthood, I guess. The truth is, it was both. So join me on the JV Club podcast where I invite some great friends like Kristen Bell, Angela Kinsey, Oscar Nunez, Neil Patrick Harris, and Keegan-Michael Key to talk about high school, the good, the bad, and everything in between. My teenage mood swings are getting harder to manage. The JV Club. Find it on Maximum Fun. Well, hello, I'm Renee Colvert. Hi, I'm Alexis Preston, and we are the hosts of Can I Pet Your Dog? And we got breaking news, we got an expose, and all the beans have been spilled via an Apple podcast review that said, this show isn't well-researched. Well, yeah, no duh. Of course it's not. Not since the day we started has it been well-researched. Guessing and anthropomorphizing dogs is what we do. The Can I Pet Your Dog promise is that we will never do more than 10 seconds of research before telling you excitedly about any dog we see. I'm going to come at you with top 10 enthusiasm, minimal facts. We're here for a good time, not an educated time. So if you love dogs and you don't love research, well, (laughs) you know what? Come on in to Can I Pet Your Dog podcast every Tuesday on Maximum Fun Network. (laughs) And we're back for one more thing. 
I'm going to go first, and I'm going to talk about a little game <laughs> the two of you may have heard of uh-huh. called Hollow Knight. And, uh, <laughs> cool. It's, uh, it's a very good game. and Very on brand. Yeah. It has very good music as well. So part of the reason I'm talking about this is for some blatant self-promotion. Um, I just finished a big uh, multi-instrumental arrangement that I did of one of my favorite pieces from Hollow Knight that I spent a, quite a while on. It was a couple of weeks worth of work, and I uh, posted a video of it on YouTube. probably playing right now behind me played a bunch of different instruments i played the wine glasses it's got an epic sax solo um 18 different instruments i think i played It's amazing. It's great. It's fantastic. Uh, thanks. It was uh, very fun to make. And People should give it a view on their internet give device. Me, give, me a, give me a view. Give it a like and a share. A YouTube click. <laughs> Gotta get those YouTube views. Please, please. Um, it's, yeah, those, are, those things are fun to make. That game's music really lends itself to reinterpretation. Uh, it's composed by a guy named Christopher Larkin, who is incredible. He also did all the sound effects for the game by himself. And remember, this game was made by basically two guys with a third guy helping on programming. And then... Wow. This one dude did all the music and the sound effects. So a lot of times, the way they talk, the bugs all say these little words. There's this one horrible creature that's like, <laughs> like whenever it gets mad, and it's just him. Like he, it's just this piano playing composer guy who like made these sounds, which I love. Ugh, where's Silk Song? <laughs> uh, I know. Well, <laughs> so if people are feeling the hankering for Silk Song, I started playing this game again because I kind of wanted to capture some footage to use in the video I was making, and also just to kind of hear how the Green Path music sounds in the Green Path zone. And I might wind up replaying all of Hollow Knight, because I played a lot, actually. Like, I just, I've been playing on Switch. It's so good on Switch. It just, you can just pick it up and play for a while. And I've gotten so good at it, because I've played a jillion hours of it, and like, you know, 100% of the game or whatever. Um, It's really great. The soundtrack layers in a way that I it was just cool to revisit where if you listen to it on the soundtrack it's like it starts and then it, there's this one figure that plays and then it just kind of layers on top of itself until it reaches a kind of a climax and then goes down but in the game it's very different it's like he's got all these stems as they're called is what they're called which is like individual music tracks that all play simultaneously and then he layers them at a differing differing density depending on how close to the heart of the area you are and then sometimes when you get into a fight like you'll walk into a room and the doors will slam shut and you'll have to fight a sub boss it'll kick up to the most intense version and the drums will come in but then when you get really near the outskirts of the area it's like just one little stem like just the piano part kind of echoing so the way that the music is implemented in the game is really cool too Anyway, I could talk about Hollow Knight for a million years. I think it's so good. It's so fun replaying this game because I've developed so much muscle memory and skill, and I remember the map and where things are. So it's just like a delight. If you want a real, real fun time, try playing with permadeath on See How Far You Can. Fuck that. No, I'm not playing. Whatever that is. Steel Soul Motor. No, no, no. Yeah. I already yeah. died. I died a few times. I didn't die for a long time, and then Hornet killed me. I was like, ah, like I was about to beat her, and then she got me, and I was like, ah. What a, kind of a scrub am I? She's like, ah, you wanted Silk Song. Well, here you exactly. go. Exactly. She's like, can't you just not wait to play as me and kill other people? And I'm like, I can't. It's true, Hornet. I can't wait. Um, all right, Maddie, what is your one more thing? Well, I'm playing Dark Souls again. Uh, it's going great. Uh, 
I could have played Final Fantasy VI this week. I didn't. I just played Dark Souls. I am up to the Capra Demon, which I think you described as hard, Jason. I think that I described it as hard. No, I described the Capra Demon as super easy. I beat yes. him on like my second try or something like that. The Capra Demon, That's you good. just have to get past him immediately, and then he's you easy. You have to kill the dogs. I haven't done very many attempts against him yet, so I have, I have no take on him yet. I've only just gotten to him. But before that, I had to beat this guy, Havel, who's at the bottom <laughs> of this tower. And then once you beat him, you unlock a whole bunch of other shortcuts that at least I hadn't unlocked yet. And then eventually, if you're me, you find the Capra Demon, and you're like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do to advance in this game. I had game a very similar experience. Dark Souls is an open world game, and no one will tell you that, but it is. And you can kind of play it in any order and just throw yourself against various obstacles and eventually you beat one and you're like oh it turns out this helped me and then you find another part of the world so in order to defeat Havel I taught myself how to parry I've been very uh, lazy about learning how to parry well every character that you fight against has a different time that you're supposed to parry in you just have to kind of pay attention to when they swing their Mm -hmm. weapon and memorize the timing Havel is different as well the way that I learned to parry, well, there's no real t- tip, I guess. I I looked at some tutorial YouTube videos on how to parry because I was like, I don't understand when I need to press the button and I'm clearly getting it wrong. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to watch some YouTube videos of other people doing this so that I know. That helped a lot. I We've talked a little bit about the Phantom for Dark Souls and I just want to say... The YouTube comments on Dark Souls tutorial videos are horrible. They're so oh, bad. Really? Oh, they all they just are, get good. They are all that. They are all people telling you, if you don't already know how to parry in Dark Souls, you're terrible at the game. What are you <laughs> oh, even doing? God. If you haven't already wow. learned how to parry before you get to Havel, who even are you? And if you don't <laughs> learn how to parry, you will never beat the game. Like, it's just the most extreme. Like, it is what people describe as, yeah. as boxing them out of Dark Souls. And it's so stupid. And I was reading these comments and I was just like, this is so demoralizing. Like, I don't know how to do this. And I did get myself in a weird headspace of being like, can I not learn how to do this? And of course I did eventually. And then by the time I actually beat Havel, I will brag and say that I. I attained no damage against him in the fight where I beat him. He did not hit me a single time. Every single hit against him that I had was the result of a parry. I did seven parries, perfect parries in a row against him in my final time. Because by that point, I got how to parry. And once I got it, the next time that I went back to him, I could just perfectly beat him. And then I was like, well, that was actually quite easy. It just took me three hours to learn how to do that. And that's how everything in Dark Souls is. And it's part of why I feel like these YouTube comments are so stupid because it's just, I don't know. I, I just feel really weird and sad about the way that people talk about Dark Souls because it's like, also, I think I could have beaten him if I hadn't learned to parry. It would have been fine. I did. I beat him without parrying, so whatever. So like, like, I never parry so in like, Dark Souls. <laughs> it's fine. I don't know why. Why do people talk about it this? Way? Yeah, you can. I think you can beat all of the games without parrying. Like you don't you have can. to. Yeah, I just roll, man. Right? You can roll. You can just block regular style if you sure. want, or you can just walk around people. You can just yeah. strafe around people and right. backstab them. You can kick them to interrupt their animation. These are all my favorite favorite moves mm-hmm. to do. Um, those are all the things you can do i mean with havel it's kind of fun to parry because he has a specific animation that he does when you parry him where he like falls to his knees very dramatically and then you get to hit him and it looks really cool so i recommend it for that reason Mm. but like 
you also don't need to learn how to parry. And I don't know. I'm I'm just hoping I'm encouraging more people to believe that Dark Souls isn't actually that intimidating and that if you set your mind to it, you can memorize an attack animation and learn that it's not very difficult to do. Nice. That's a good sentiment. So I... um after beating Demon Souls, went back to Dark Souls because I was like, oh man, I have such a hankering for Souls games. The problem <laughs> I'm having now is that my game is like way far in, but I don't remember oh, yeah. when I played because it was uh-huh. like two years ago. And so I have, I mean, playing with the Scythe, which I know I did some crazy run to go get, and it's a really good deck scaling weapon, and I've been playing a dex build, which I don't normally do. So it's like not, I, I got so good with the Claymore in Demon Souls, and I'm like, I miss the Claymore. I just want to play a strength build with a big sword, but I kind of can't because I committed yeah. to this dex build. And also, I was just lost down in um, the depths in whatchamacallit, the like cursed, crappy village. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to go back and try to get back to Firelink Shrine. I don't remember how to get there, but I'm just going to go. So I was going to find the, it somehow. Yeah. And I was so lost. I was going through the depths trying to reverse engineer how I got there. And then I did the thing where you, I fell in the hole and all the frogs were there, the frogs that freaking curse you. Jason, weren't you talking about this? And I got cursed. Yep. And then I like yep. died. And now I have half my health and I have to go yep. find. And I was like, oh, yep. f- I just want to start it new game <laughs> just start <laughs> over man just i might start just start over. over well that's the thing so these these games are great and all but like there's no way you can take any sort of extended break and then jump yes. back in you have to yeah. start from scratch every single i time. might just start from the beginning yeah it was definitely a learning experience mm-hmm. i need to just beat it as well i mean that's it's kind of nice that the other game i'm playing is final fantasy 6 which has nothing to do with dark souls like it's not as though i'm losing my skill at dark souls by yeah. playing ff6 they're completely <laughs> different, different your, games so like brain. if these are the only two games i'm playing i'm fine but i do feel like this isn't a great time for me to start playing hollow knight again like it's not like that would just confuse right the heck those out of me. two games are pretty they occupy a pretty similar headspace yeah, even yeah, though yeah. it is so. never really a bad time to start hollow knight again it's not except <laughs> if you're in the middle of trying to beat yes, dark no, souls for the I'm, first time i'm just kidding because i can't resist because <laughs> i love that game um jason what is your one more thing oh i know what your one more thing is it's a game that i also played yeah well so so if, to all of you listeners out there who are like oh man can't wait for one more thing i want to hear about some cool new stuff and heard about hollow knight and dark souls hey whatever i feel like way more people were like oh one more thing i can't wait to hear more about dark souls it's great no it's very on brand for for our show i love it but i want to talk about something completely new and in fact something unlike anything i've played before um i've been playing a game called loop hero and this game it's on pc it's very low-fi it's an indie game published by devolver digital which is a publisher that has just been like knocking it out of the park year after year i should say um and so this game is the concept is you play as this hero who has lost all of his memories like many jrpg heroes um and he is sent into this world where he's like trying to figure out what's going on and to do so he has to kind of like walk on this path which is a loop and rebuild the environment around him and you're essentially like conjuring up what he his memories are um so the game is separated into two phases. There's a town building phase and an expedition phase. Town building phase is basically like you have a village and you can put you their residence there and you can build up things that like help you get better for your expedition phase. The expedition is the main gameplay. And the expedition is a dungeon crawler, except you don't actually do any of the dungeon crawling. So your guy walks around on this loop and he automatically attacks and fights enemies. And so you don't control any of the combat or anything like that. What you can control is 
A, his equipment and like what gear he's getting, which you get gear after every battle, and B, the kind of layout of the map and what the loop, what actually goes on the loop. So um, you wind up getting all these cards that are like these building cards that you can place across the map to like generate new enemies so your guy can level up some more or like um, raise your your guy's health or um, summon a, a helpful treasure chest or a village that can send you on quests and stuff like that. So your job is kind of, it's like a simulation game, a strategy game. You're like managing everything surrounding your guy as he's walking in this loop. Um, and so your job is to survive and you, there are different ways you can survive. And then as you get more advanced, like you learn that different cards and different tiles on the map kind of, um, interact with the others in different ways. And there's some creative combos you can play around with, um, and as you go, you're getting resources that you can ten- then take back to the village um, if you want. So you can kind of like retreat from the loop to take those resources back. Otherwise, you might lose some of them if you die. Um, so it's this very compelling like gameplay loop, so to speak, um, <laughs> in Loop Hero. And uh, it's really fun. It's like you wouldn't think that it would be as enjoyable as it is because you're not actually controlling your guy fighting monsters. But it's really fun to like play around with it and watch the numbers go up and like experiment with the different tile combinations and see what you can do there. There's a lot of choices, that, interesting choices that you can make as you go. Um, and there are a lot of different kind of builds you can create out of your character because you're constantly getting new equipment and you can look at all the different stats on it. Like one piece of equipment might be really, might give you great like counter percentage and so you can make your guy a super powered counter ability and then on top of that you can get like another skill that lets you heal every time you counter so you combine those two and you're like oh cool I built this really cool character um, and it's really really good I really like it it get, definitely gets repetitive um, as any game like this it would um, any game that's like literally a loop <laughs> would <laughs> um, but it's really creative and fun and I highly recommend it um, definitely one of the more enjoyable games I played this year it's sort of like one good way to think of it is like a reverse tower defense i've heard it described yeah, yeah. That's, I saw that description and it felt accurate. I played a, an hour or two of this game. It's really addictive. Uh, it, it would be great as a phone or tablet game, I would think, like a way that you could just kind of, because yeah. it's, it's really low-key in a certain way because it auto-plays itself. And you can pause at any time. It has that kind of just really quick, oh, I'm going to pause and just figure out what I want to do. You're kind of just mm-hmm. arranging things in a nice way and then seeing what happens. Placing um, tiles, yep. That, that energy, like that rhythm is, is really pleasing. Like it's just a very like nice flow kind of a game. <laughs> Is there a way to beat it? Does it end? Do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so as so the loops each after like you go around, um, you're building up this bar that is like that gets a little more full every time you place a tile on the map. And when it hits the end, there's a boss. And so then you beat, it's like called act one and then you go into act two and then act three and then act four, but you can replay them any time as many times as you want each of them. And then you get new character classes and there's a lot of new stuff that you're getting over time. And then you can fill up your village with more stuff and more people. And that's how you eventually win is by like, and like the memories come back. There's a story oh, of these people sort yeah. of remembering the world that they've completely forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a story attached. It. so there's like some interesting dialogue yeah it's neat oh that's cool yeah it's really interesting right. it's and it's different it really is it's very different that's what i like it's about very it. different like just playing it it's like oh this is like a totally different thing like then you know it's not a souls game <laughs> like, right it's, it's very well yeah, then i'm not a, interested get it off this list what that i think that's what makes it so appealing to me is that it's like very i mean i like the strategy element but also it's very unlike anything i've played before and that to me is really cool and yeah. it's like hey it's 2021 and there's still games coming out that like 
are doing totally new things. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it a cool. sweet game. Loop Hero. Check it out. I recommend it. I'm sure a lot of people out there are going to be waiting for like the phone version or the Switch yeah. version, which totally understood. But um, mm-hmm. but it's a good one to play like while watching TV or listening to a podcast or something. Yeah, it's maybe listening to Triple Click. Yes. Mm. Um, all right. Well, nothing is true. Everything is permitted. I'll see you both <laughs> next week. That sounds like it should be a logo for like a food, a, f- a cooking show. <laughs> or a terrible newspaper. Nothing is true. <laughs> nothing is true. Everything is permitted. <laughs> well, anyway, bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. All right. I'm Maddie Myers. Sorry, sorry. Hold on. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not ready yet. One Just trying to figure out what your name is. It's stressful. You know, it's, it's really. <laughs> I've, I've forgotten. Wait, I'm Kirk? Am I? No, I'm Jason. No, Jason. We have to on. remember our names at the beginning of every single show. I was Once scrolling up on the run sheet because I wanted to see the actual thing. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, okay, Here we okay, go. Okay.